Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. guys, and welcome to the Moms and Murder Podcast, a true crime podcast featuring myself, Mandy, and my dear friend, Melissa. Hi, Melissa. Hi, Mandy. How are you? I am doing great. How are you? (laughs) I am doing well. It's a beautiful day here. Very happy about it. And uh, yeah, good. It's beautiful. You had a big week, right? I did. Yeah. September, first of all, is flying by. I can't believe we're already uh, almost halfway through this month. It seems like I don't know what's happened here. I, I feel like I say that a lot of times, but like every month, I, I mean it. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we had a big week here in my house, a big weekend rather. Um, my oldest child turned 13. So I am officially the parent of a teenager and that feels so, so Wild, weird. Right? Yeah, like there's just no way that's possible. I don't feel old enough to have a teenager at all. I know. I get very like confused on how old I am until I'm around younger people right. and then I'm very intimidated <laughs> and I'm like, I'm so not cool and they know it. Uh, it's a lot. Yeah, no, it's it's a weird thing having a teenager and feeling like you just – I feel like everyone should say to me like, you're not old enough to have a teenager and no one does. Right. And that's the problem. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's like, no, that sounds right. Yeah, I know. I get it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I know I talked to you a little bit about this kind of earlier in the week before his birthday came, but I feel like I made a bigger deal out of it mentally than he did, you know, because I'm thinking like 13, this is such a huge deal. It has to be super special. It has to be such a unique birthday. And, you know, I told you about some of my struggles, you know, with this age, it's just so hard because what do you give a 13 year old? You know, they, at this point, he's had all the cool gifts, you know, he's gotten all all these things and it's like, what do you really do for them? And then they don't really know what they want to do. And they're just kind of like, "Mm, I don't know. I don't care. And so I'm like, you're not even helping me out. Like this is, Mm -mm. this is terrible. Your birthday is going to be awful and it's going to be my fault because I can't think of anything fun. But you know what? It turned out fine. We gave him money. That's really all he wanted. And I wish I would have spent considerably less time stressing out about that and just, just, you know, giving him the money and, and uh, moved on. So yeah, so it was great. He had a good time. We had a great weekend. We um, spent some time together as a family and yeah, now we're just having a nice relaxing Sunday at home. So very happy that this busy week is now behind me. (laughs) Yeah, totally. My daughter had her first volleyball tournament this weekend. So I was gone Friday and Saturday. Yeah. And it was so much fun. They finally won their first game, which was 
Like I literally scream cried in the middle of it. I was so excited. And apparently I'm very, uh, not boisterous. I'm very loud, but I'm very what? just like into it at the games. Mandy, I, I have to I, see this. Would, <laughs> I'm like all about it. And so the coach after was like, I love watching you because you get so into it. And I really am. I'm like screaming, cheering. It's just like, it's so much fun for me. I love it. I really like that for you because I know yeah. that's, that is... You don't get that excited about everything. So nothing. I get that excited about nothing. So it's it's fun. But like sometimes I like come out of my own body and I'm like, oh Melissa, this is you. You're doing this. But all the parents are really cool. It's so weird. It's just the I love weirdest. That. I know it's very not me. And I wonder if I just like now I'm on the right amount of medication where like I'm just <laughs> being a normal person and that's like helping me. Um, it could be that or maybe I just I, I love volleyball. <laughs> so that helps. Yeah, that's and really of course, awesome. Seeing your kid play is amazing. Of course. That's what I was going to say. I um, it, It's so much it just makes it that much more special because you love volleyball. And so it's like right. that your kid chose that and wants to play that as well is really cool and really special. My kids don't want to do anything that I do. So in, trust me, it's in <laughs> spite of me. It's not because of me. Like she just happens to be really tall and is like, well, I guess I could try this. But if she could do something else, she would. She doesn't want to be falling in my footsteps, but <laughs> it's cool because we get to practice together and we'll go in the yard and stuff. So it's, it's awesome. Like it, whatever else happens of these teen years, I'm okay with right now. Perfect. I'm happy that we're both so happy. <laughs> right? I know. We should record more on sunny days. <laughs> uh, right? No kidding. <laughs> so we're going to get into uh, the story this week. It is kind of a little hard to transition from the intro that we just had talking about our wonderful time that we've been having lately with our kids, um, because this week's story is kind of um, opposite of that. So as you guys know, we generally do avoid telling stories that involve the death of a minor, but there are some times that we have made exceptions, and this is going to be one of those stories. The story this week touches on a very important topic, especially for those of us who are currently parenting teenagers, and it is a story that needs to be told about the realities of dating violence. Dating violence is a form of domestic violence that is a lot more common than people think. In the United States, one in three teens will experience physical, sexual, or emotional abuse from someone that they're in a relationship with before they even reach their 18th birthday. That's a pretty sobering yeah. statistic when you really think about it. Equally shocking is that 43% of college women report experiencing violence or abusive dating behaviors as well. That's almost half of all women. Mm. This type of abuse comes in many forms, whether it be physical, psychological, or sexual, and it can even include behaviors such as stalking. We'll be touching on a lot of information regarding dating violence today, and at the end of the episode, we'll also be sharing some resources available to those who might need them, because awareness and education are the key to preventing stories like the one we're going to tell this week. Freshman year of high school is a time filled with a lot of emotion for teens and their parents. The transition from elementary to middle and then to high school is full of challenges and joys, but something about starting the ninth grade just kind of feels like the beginning of the end of our time with our babies living under our roof. For Emma Walker, it was a time to enjoy all the things she loved while growing into the woman she wanted to become. Emma had dreams of becoming a NICU nurse, and she really was well on her way. She was an honor student who participated in Beta Club, Health Occupation Students of America, and Young Life. Emma lived in her hometown of Knoxville, Tennessee with her brother, Evan, and their parents, Jill and Mark. She loved cheerleading, hanging out with her friends, attending concerts, and especially the beach. By all accounts, Emma was a very well-rounded teenager with a really bright future ahead of her. In 2014, Emma entered Central High School as a freshman and soon met a junior football player named William Riley Gall, who went by Riley. Riley was kind of a jokester, and he was different from some of the other football players on the team. He was a little more nerdy and less jockey than some of the other guys, but for the most part, he was a lot of fun to be around. Riley was a wide receiver for the high school football team before eventually going off to Maryville College in Tennessee, where he also played football. But when Riley was still in high school, he and Emma dated. Her parents approved of their relationship after the good impression Riley made on them. He was polite, likable, and well-mannered, kind of the boy-next-door type that they really hoped their daughter would find. Riley would hang out at Emma's house with her parents' supervision, and the two would also go out to eat after football games. In the early days of her relationship with Riley, Emma was really happy. 
Emma's friends believed their relationship was normal, although they did notice that Riley didn't talk much and seemed kind of shy around them. Over time, Riley started becoming possessive and only wanted Emma to hang out with him, and that's where her friends started picking up on red flags. The longer this relationship went on, the more clingy and controlling Riley became. He dictated what Emma could do, and he wouldn't let her do certain things that she wanted to. Over the course of two years, the couple had many dramatic arguments, either in person or through text or Snapchat. And Riley would pick a fight with Emma over all kinds of things, including the clothes she wore. When Emma's mom, Jill, noticed that Riley was being controlling, she tried to talk to Emma about it and warn her that this was not acceptable behavior. But the relationship continued and things continued to get worse. It got to a point where Emma really couldn't do anything on her own, including going to work. Riley would actually wait outside of the grocery store where Emma was employed for hours, which started to concern her friends really greatly. But when they would try to talk to her about it, she just kind of brushed them off. Attempting to control a dating partner's activities, their friends, and the clothes they wear are just some of the warning signs that someone is becoming a perpetrator of dating violence. Other warning signs include jealousy, possessive behavior, demanding to know where their partner is at all times, constantly calling or texting to check up on their partner, and many more behaviors like this. So it's no surprise that Emma's friends and family were alarmed when they started seeing some of these behaviors emerging in her relationship with Riley. And things only continued to escalate. Riley became more and more aggressive and started sending these really hurtful and hateful and insulting messages to Emma, telling her things like, I hate you calling her these belittling names, and on one occasion, even saying, quote, you're dead to me, F you. As it often happens in abusive relationships, Riley would then later apologize and tell Emma that he loved her more than anything, and he would, you know, just really, they call this love bombing, but he would lay it on really, really thick with her. At some point, Emma's parents confronted Riley about these cruel texts that he'd been sending to their daughter, and Riley was dismissive and said that, you know, he was just angry at the time he sent those messages. But Emma's parents really weren't satisfied with this answer. By this time, they had seen numerous red flags within the relationship, so they finally decided to set some ground rules and boundaries. Riley would no longer be allowed to come to their home. They encouraged Emma to break things off with him completely, but that didn't work. So they took away her cell phone in hopes that making it difficult to contact each other would help the relationship fizzle out. But that didn't work either because Riley had this creative way to get around it and he gave Emma an iPod touch and she was able to connect that to the Wi-Fi and use it to text him. Riley also refused to stay out of Emma's house despite her parents forbidding him to come over. He would actually sneak into Emma's bedroom window and hang out with her in there. Emma kept up with her Twitter account where she posted the same things really any teenager would post. Most of the tweets that were relating to Riley were really sweet. For example, on January 1st, 2016, she posted a picture of herself and Riley with the caption, Hey, I kind of have a crush on you. On May 30th, she tweeted more photos with the caption, Look how lucky I am. And in August, she posted pictures of the two of them together with a birthday message for Riley and another post that said, I wish you'd move back to Knox because I miss seeing you every day. But there were also some vague tweets on Emma's account that may have been posted during the times of struggle for the young couple. On November 16th, 2016, she said, quote, not really sure why I waited so long, end quote, and other sentiments. It's unclear whether or not these tweets are actually directly about Riley, but it's safe to assume so. And we've talked about this social media now versus when we were younger and we did not have it and how you I totally would have put these kind of thoughts out there you know you just like every little thing that's on your mind you put out there so it's hard it is hard to kind of put together what could be about him and what couldn't but as you know them having struggles in the relationship it's not too far to think some of this definitely could have been about him right for sure by this time Riley was 18 and had gone off to college and Emma was in her junior year of high school Although they were still on again, off again, Emma appeared to be trying to end things for good around Halloween that year. Emma's parents had grounded her and she was only allowed to go to school and to cheer practice. They monitored everything she did and everywhere she went for a while and it seemed to be working. Her father said that during these weeks, Emma started to act like her old self again. She would spend time with the family, have dinner, and would socialize with them. Emma also told her friend Keegan that she and Riley were done for good this time. 
While Emma seemed to be moving on pretty easily, Riley was not handling this breakup well at all. He ended up overdosing on Vicodin and alcohol, attempting to take his own life intentionally, but he was unsuccessful. In the weeks following this attempt, Riley was up and down and all over the place with his moods, but his friends began to notice that Riley was often just moping around and keeping to himself or talking about how depressed he was and how he wanted to hurt himself. On November 18th, Riley swapped vehicles with his grandfather for reasons we don't really know, but when Riley returned the car, his grandfather realized that his gun, which he kept under his driver's seat, was missing. He actually reported this gun stolen on November the 20th, so really right away he realized it wasn't there and he reported it to police. And we still have so much more to get into, and we will after a quick break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. As moms, we love to get away, and sure, taking ourselves on a luxurious trip to Bali sounds amazing, but you're more likely to find me at Wally World. When I need to get away from it all, I can pick up my phone and play a quick round of Best Fiends. Best Fiends is the free-to-download match-three game with over 100 million downloads. It's easy to get started, but it's always hard to put down. I can play a quick round when I'm taking a break from folding the laundry or waiting for my coffee to brew. I love that it's not a timed game, so I can take my time and come up with the best strategy to defeat the slugs. I don't think anybody doubts my love for Best Fiends at this point, but if you did, just know I'm on level 3,345, and you don't get those kind of numbers without a love for the game, my friend. Best Fiends is also available offline, so when I'm doing things like waiting for my daughter's next volleyball game to start, I can sneak in a couple of quick rounds, no problem. And even more than 3,000 levels later, I'm not bored. And that's because Best Fiends is always adding new and exciting levels, adventures, and challenges. Friend me at 254-2573, and we can send each other gifts to use in the game. Download your new favorite getaway, Best Fiends, for free today on the App Store or Google Play. You'll even get $5 worth of in-game rewards when you reach level 5. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. With no fees or minimums, banking with Capital One is the easiest decision in the history of decisions. Even easier than deciding to listen to another episode of your favorite podcast. And with no overdraft fees, is it even a decision? That's banking reimagined. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. See CapitalOne.com slash bank. Capital One N.A. Member FDIC. And now back to the episode. So before the break, we were going into detail about the relationship that high school junior Emma Walker had with Riley Gall, who was just a new college freshman. This couple had dated off and on for a couple of years, and Emma's friends and family began to notice the signs of teen dating violence. In the fall of 2016, Emma was trying to break things off with Riley for good, and Riley wasn't handling it well. He made an attempt on his own life and spent the next few weeks in a depressed state. On Friday, November 18th, Riley borrowed his grandfather's truck, and when he returned it, the gun his grandfather kept under the driver's seat was missing. So over that weekend, Emma spent some time at another friend's house. It was about 1130 at night when she told her friend Zach about these strange text messages that she was getting from a number that she didn't recognize. The text said things like, come outside alone if you don't want to see a loved one get hurt. And I've got someone you love. If you don't comply, I will hurt them. So Emma is instantly thinking that this is one of Riley's friends and they're just playing a trick on her. So she texted back saying that she would call the police. But that didn't stop the messages. In fact, they kept coming and they only got even more threatening. The next message she got said, quote, if you'd like to hear his crying and screams, give me a call. He's in a ditch beside the house. It's a shame you can all of a sudden not value someone's life. So Emma has enough of this and she asks her friend Zach to go outside with her to kind of check things out. And what they found was that Riley was face down in a nearby ditch. They go over to him and Riley tells them that he's been kidnapped and he has no clue how he got there and he was holding his head like he had been hit there at some point. But Emma immediately feels really uncomfortable with this and she firmly told Riley to leave her alone. You know, they've just broken up and she was really suspicious about this entire scenario and on edge just by the fact that he was even there. Yeah. So Riley then gets up and takes off down the road, and later that night, he called his friend Noah and told him the same story, that he'd been kidnapped and he was taken to Zach's house, where conveniently Emma happened to be. His friend Noah 
doesn't really believe this far-fetched story, but he did offer to call the police for Riley. And Riley refused. He said that he didn't want to get the police involved. So this kidnapping was never actually reported. This whole thing is so wild because what is the motivation for right. this kidnapping? What did they do to him? They just happened to be like, let's leave him here. Oh, also, we have Emma's number and we're going to text her and we happen to be at the house that right. where she that happens is, to be. Yeah, it's a little strange. Yeah, yeah, not even her home, like somebody else's house altogether. So it doesn't make any sense. And Emma seems to realize it doesn't make sense. And, you know, she's obviously very alarmed by this. So Emma goes back to her house the next day, Saturday, where she has another bizarre and scary encounter. While Emma's home alone, someone that's dressed in all black, they're wearing sunglasses, a hood, and a face covering, comes to the door and tries to get inside. Emma sends a text out to her friends that revealed how scared she was in that moment. It said, quote, I'm home alone and somebody in all black walked down my street and came to my door and rang the doorbell over and over again. I thought I was going to die, end quote. Emma was so scared by this that even though she and Riley were broken up, she texted him for help. She said, quote, I hate you, but I need you right now, end quote. And Riley replies, quote, I'm coming, I'm speeding, just give me a minute, end quote. This whole, like, Prince Charming thing yes. he's trying to pull in this. So Riley arrives at Emma's house just in time for her parents to pull up and see them outside together in front of the house. Emma's mom gets out of the car and tells Riley to leave and tells him again, you're not welcome to be here. But Riley says he's just there to make sure Emma was safe. So he leaves after Emma's mom asked him to without any issue. Once Riley was gone, Emma's parents asked her, you know, what in the heck is going on? And she tells him this story about this strange person in black that comes to their door, which scares her. So then she calls Riley to come over. And that's when her mom, Jill, kind of talks to Emma and says, you know, isn't this a weird coincidence that Riley is present at both of these extremely creepy events over the last 24 hours? But Emma's really convinced that this couldn't be Riley. I imagine it would be so hard. You just couldn't understand why someone would do it, that it right. would be easy to just not believe that it could be them. Emma did ask her parents to turn on their security system, something she had actually never asked them to do before, so it's clear she was extremely freaked out by the whole situation. For the rest of that Saturday, Emma's parents stayed home and they kept an eye on her to make sure everything was okay. And the next morning, they followed Emma to work and back home to make sure no one was following or harassing her. It, it's very clear that they love their daughter. They wanted to protect their daughter. And it doesn't feel like these stories where people are so, um, you can never have contact. You can never right. do this. You can never, and like pushing them towards it. It's kind of like, maybe you need a break. Let's try this. Let's try these things. But always at the heart of the matter, they love their daughter. Right. And just looking out for her. Absolutely. And so later on Sunday night, Emma texts her friend Keegan about an assignment for school, and then she goes to bed around midnight. On Monday, November 21st, 2016, shortly after 6 a.m., Jill went into Emma's room to wake her up for school. Typically, all Jill had to do to get Emma up was just say her name, but this time Emma didn't stir. Jill went over to the bed and touched Emma's leg, but that didn't wake her either. So Jill started then looking more closely at Emma and realized that something was wrong. She checked for a pulse but didn't find one. Emma's dad was already at work for the day, so Jill dialed 911. The police responded to what they thought was a possible suicide, but once they took a look inside Emma's room, it became obvious that it was not a suicide at all. It was a homicide. Two shell casings were found outside of the house. There was a bullet hole in the wall of Emma's bedroom about shoulder high a bullet in Emma's pillow, and one behind her left ear. Emma's father later told the police that he had heard something in the middle of the night that sounded kind of like a door slamming, and it actually woke him up from his sleep and caused him to walk down the hall to check on Emma. But when he looked in her room, he could see that she appeared to be in her bed sleeping, so he went back to bed. A neighbor that spoke with the police said they thought it was about 2.30 in the morning when they heard two shots. When more friends and family of Emma were interviewed, they told officers that the only person they could think of that would want to hurt Emma was her ex-boyfriend, Riley Gall. Meanwhile, Riley was on social media mourning Emma's death. His mother had informed him that Emma was shot at some point on that Monday morning, and Riley took to Twitter and said, quote, Rest easy now, sweetheart. I love you forever and always. Another tweet said, 
I love you, Emma. I can't be around any of that yet. It's too soon. I know you know I'm dying to be there, but understand I can't. I love you. And finally, he said, quote, there's not a human on earth that can make the impact that you've had on my life. I miss you more than anything. You'll weigh heavy on my mind for the rest of my life because no one can fill the void that's in my heart now. At some point, the police were told about the mysterious person that was dressed in black that showed up at Emma's house two days before she was found dead, which then leads police to question whether there could be a second suspect in addition to Riley that they should be looking into. They started talking to Riley's friends, and they ended up learning through two of them that Riley was showing off his grandfather's gun just a few days before Emma was killed. Riley alleged that he was terrified after his kidnapping ordeal and said he was scared someone was out to get him or to hurt Emma, so he stole his grandfather's gun for protection. Again, he did not call the police. He was not that worried about the kidnapping to, you know, get anyone involved but himself, but he was worried enough to steal his grandfather's gun. Riley himself was interviewed on the same day that Emma was found. He actually acted like he was just hearing this news for the first time, and his responses seemed rehearsed and deliberate according to investigators. In these interviews, Riley always refers to Emma as the girl rather than by her name, which, oh my gosh. So when the officers would ask what girl, he would say, the one that passed away. This has to be some sort of disassociation because there's, it makes no sense otherwise, right? Yes. Detectives instructed Riley to tell them what he had been doing for the last 72 hours in detail. He said he thought he had spent the night at his friend Noah's house and that he'd been trying to talk to the girl all weekend, but she wouldn't talk to him. Riley told them that Emma later agreed to talk to him, but only if he helped her with a paper. He claimed he tried to call her on Sunday night from a friend's phone, but the call didn't go through. He claimed that Emma said cruel things to him that night and then blocked the friend's number that Riley was calling her from. Riley said he was so distraught over their breakup that he went back to the college and, quote, cried for two or three hours, end quote. So during this interview, Riley was asked about his grandfather's missing gun, and they told him they knew that he was showing it off to his friends, so they knew that he was the one who stole it. Riley said he didn't know where the gun was and he didn't have it, and he denied ever even showing it to his friends. When the police were almost done with the interview, they asked Riley for permission to look through his cell phone. And at that point, Riley asked them if he was a suspect, and they just replied, should you be? So after this interview, Riley ended up texting his friend Alex, and he asked him why he told the police about the gun. Again, why, are, why would you text someone and ask them this? All of this. Like, this is not a long time ago. This, you know. Right. And the police it, are it's definitely just wild. looking it, into you. So why would absolutely. you send text messages? I, I don't know. Just craziness. Um, so he asked him, you know, why he told the police about the gun. And Alex said it really shouldn't be that big of a deal unless Riley had something to hide. But if he didn't have anything to hide, then he should just give the gun to the police. And Alex You know, he said that he was concerned that Riley was going to use the gun on himself. And this was like a very real concern that his friends had. He had been talking about being depressed for a while over this breakup. And they were actually scared, you know, that he had other plans for the gun to hurt himself. Riley told Alex that he didn't hurt Emma and he asked him not to speak to the police anymore. He was really frantic and he kept saying that all he could even do now was just try to get rid of the gun in order to not be framed for something he didn't do. Alex said that this reaction from Riley is what really instantly let him know that Riley had done this. Alex and Noah, uh, who was Riley's other friend that he showed the gun to, were convinced that he was going to get rid of the gun before the police were able to get to it. So they decided that they were just going to go to the police with this new information. Meanwhile, the investigators had already discovered that the bullets from the crime scene were from the same type of gun as the one that Riley's grandfather reported missing. But they still needed the actual gun to make sure that it was a real match to the bullets. When the police heard what Alex and Noah had to say about the way Riley reacted when they talked to him about the gun, they warned the teens that it was incredibly dangerous for them to be trying to get this gun away from Riley. But these boys really didn't seem to care. They just wanted to help no matter what. On Tuesday, the day after Emma was killed, Alex and Noah, along with the police, came up with a plan for this sting operation of sorts to get the gun back. 
I'm assuming they're friends with uh, Riley that they're not minors because I'm in my head when I first read this, I thought, no way. Yeah. Why are these minors involved in a sting operation? And then I was like, oh, no, no, no. If they're, they're all in college. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but it was just a second where I'm like, I don't I don't think police want to do that. Yeah. <laughs> this. yeah. No. Yeah. I, I think they must have been over 18. So Alex and Noah would they had agreed that they were going to wear a hidden wire and a video camera. And the plan was for them to invite Riley over to play video games, which is something he loved to do and something they always did together so it wouldn't seem very weird. So while they were there playing video games, Riley told them again that he didn't kill Emma, but he did tell them what he wanted them to say to the police, which is always so like, like, I didn't do anything, but here's the lie I want you to tell for me. Like, right. That doesn't make any sense. Exactly. If you didn't do anything, you have to put the truth out there and then it's got to all be figured out. But when you start telling people to lie, you've got to have a reason for it. And right. it's, and it's, it's not usually not really good. good. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Riley's lie was evolving constantly. And the story he came up with was that the three boys were drunk and high on LSD when they gave their statements. So anything not only they does he false. want them to cover for him, but he also wants them to say that they were doing drugs to the police. Like, I would be like, are you drugs. crazy? Like, I'm not going to tell the police I was doing drugs. <laughs> For what reason are you protecting this guy? That It right. doesn't make any sense whatsoever, especially if you didn't do anything. Why do I have to say these things about myself to right. help you out? That doesn't make sense. Noah and Alex apologized to Riley for talking to the police, and they said they didn't know he would get in trouble. And Riley then seemed to trust his friends, and he told them that he still needed to get rid of the gun. He suggested that the three of them go to a wooded area near the Tennessee River called the Bluffs. He said he could just throw the gun in the river there. His friends asked why he wouldn't just give the gun to the police, and Riley said, quote, it just needs to be gone, end quote. The three teen boys get into Alex's car and drove over to Riley's stepfather's house where the gun was hidden in the basement. So Riley tells Alex and Noah to stay in the car and to wait for him. And so he returns with a trash bag full of items, including the gun, which Alex and Noah tried to get Riley to show them, but he refused. Alex and Noah remained calm, and they acted normal throughout this whole sting. They even stopped for fast food on the way to the bluffs. Little did Riley know, his friends were in a group text with officers, and there were three undercover vehicles following them. How scary would this be to be riding in this car with this guy, and you know, or at least you think there's a good chance that he has a gun in the bag? And That's just a terrifying scenario for these other two guys. It is, and it's incredible that they did it. I mean, it's great, especially having been his friend. It doesn't sound, I don't I don't know that he, they were necessarily friends with her. And so, you know, in some stories, there's so much loyalty to this person and right. they could never turn their back. But they were like, if our friend did this, we're, we're going to help you figure it out, which is great. So the teens parked in an apartment complex parking lot where Riley put on gloves and meticulously removed everything from the trash bag. Finally, he pulled out the gun, and that's when Noah texted police that they had officially seen that Riley had it. Within 90 seconds, officers were surrounding the car. 18-year-old Riley was pulled from the vehicle and arrested. He kicked and screamed the whole way, swearing and saying, quote, I can't go to jail, end quote. The police found the gun, gloves, tennis shoes, black tape, and black clothing, all of which Riley had brought inside the trash bag. It's believed that the black closing was used the night of Emma's murder, as well as the day this mysterious man in black showed up at Emma's house. Obviously, it was believed that Riley was the mysterious man that day. Riley was charged with first-degree murder and six other felony charges, including aggravating stalking, theft, tampering with evidence, reckless endangerment, employing a firearm during a dangerous felony, and felony murder. Somehow, Riley was able to post his $1 million bond, and he was released and monitored by GPS until his trial could be held. And we still have more to get into the story after one last break to hear a word from this week's sponsors. There may be no I in team, but there are two in inflation. And if you're sick of cringing at the pump or closing your eyes when ordering from your favorite restaurant, this ad is just for you. Introducing Upside, the incredible app for anyone and everyone who buys gas, buys groceries, or dines out. With each purchase, I'm earning cash back thanks to Upside. I've already earned a little over $12 with Upside, and it's required almost zero effort on my part. I simply downloaded the Upside app. Make sure you use our promo code MOMS because you'll automatically get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. 
Then I just claimed an offer on what I was buying with Upside. For example, when I need gas, I just pull up my app and see what stations are on the Upside app, head in that direction, and check in at the location. I pay as usual with my credit or debit card and get paid by Upside. I use my first $10 to get a Starbucks gift card for my husband because I'm a good wife and not because I wanted wife points I can hold over his head later. And don't just take our word for it. Upside users are earning more than a million real dollars every week. That's probably why they have a 4.8 star rating on the App Store. Download the free Upside app and use promo code MOMS to get $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more. That's $5 or more cash back on your first purchase of $10 or more using promo code MOMS. Are you ready to revolutionize the way you enjoy food and essentials at home? Introducing DashPass from DoorDash, your ultimate ticket to convenience and savings. With DashPass, you gain exclusive access to unlimited $0 delivery fees on eligible orders, along with members-only deals and discounts that will leave your wallet smiling. Whether you're craving the flavors of your favorite restaurants, need groceries from across town, or anything in between, DashPass ensures that everything you need is just a few clicks away, delivered right to your door. With DashPass, not only do you enjoy $0 delivery fees, but you'll also benefit from lower service fees on eligible orders, making it the most affordable way to satisfy your cravings and stock up on essentials from your local favorites. What I really love is how quickly DashPass pays for itself. On average, it takes just two orders, which makes it a no-brainer investment for your budget. And as if that weren't enough, DashPass grants you special access to exclusive promotions and menu items, adding an extra layer of excitement to your DoorDash experience. You get all this for only $9.99 a month, which is a small price to pay for unlimited convenience and savings. My family and I have had DoorDash for the past year or so, and while I make most meals at home, I don't know that I could mom without it. I used it twice just this past week while we were dealing with a stomach bug at home, and it was so nice to have and to be able to focus on getting better and not running all over town to pick everything up for everyone. Don't wait. Sign up for DashPass now and unlock a world of possibilities, all from the comfort of your home. DashPass from DoorDash, delivering joy, convenience, and savings straight to your doorstep. Get more from delivery for less with DashPass. $0 delivery fees and reduced service fees on eligible DoorDash orders. Sign up for DashPass today and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change. Terms apply. Open the door to $0 delivery fees and savings you can't get anywhere else. Sign up for DashPass today, only on DoorDash, and get your first 30 days free if you're a new member. Subject to change, terms apply. It's been a while since I've had a baby of my own, and some days I miss it so much. The baby cuddles and baby smiles, but when it comes to diaper rashes, not so much. I remember the first time my oldest had a diaper rash, I was really devastated. Here's this tiny thing totally dependent on me, and now she's fussy and obviously uncomfortable, and I'm supposed to have the answers. Well, with time and treatment, it went away, but what I really wanted was to avoid it altogether. And now, baby butts rejoice. New Huggies Skin Essentials are here, a brand new dermatologist-approved line of diapers, wipes, and pull-ups training pants, all designed with baby's sensitive skin in mind. The wipes are thick and have zero harsh ingredients for a great, gentle clean. Pull-Up Skin Essentials has got your big kid covered, too, with a training pant that's ultra-soft and breathable to help protect sensitive skin throughout potty training. Whether you're a first-time parent or a seasoned pro, make it easy on yourself and your baby with Huggies. Learn more at Huggies.com. Once again, head to Huggies.com to learn more. And now back to the episode. So before the break, Riley had just been arrested in this sting operation, and the investigation is still continuing on. An autopsy was performed on Emma by Dr. Christopher Lockmuller. He wasn't sure whether Emma died instantly or not, but he said that it appeared that she was unconscious the moment the bullet hit her. The cause of death was the gunshot wound. Riley had positioned himself in the fenced-in backyard about four to five feet from the back of the house and knew exactly where to shoot in order to kill Emma. His phone record showed that he was in the Knoxville area until around 3.45 a.m., and then he was at Maryville College at 4.19. His roommate claimed that he got into their dorm at about 4.45 and then went to sleep. And then the next morning, the roommate woke Riley up to go to class. At some point, Riley's mom had called him and told him that Emma had been hurt. The police believe that Riley had installed an app called Phoner to mask his number when he called Emma the Friday before she was killed. Emma's funeral was held on November 26th. It took a while for this case to go to trial, but finally on May 1st, 2018, opening statements began. 
The prosecution stated that Riley planned to kill Emma because he was angry at her for ending their relationship. They alleged that he staged his own kidnapping and showed up at Emma's door as the mysterious man dressed in all black in order to shift the blame for Emma's murder away from himself. They said that, quote, he was possessive, he was manipulative, he was controlling, he was toxic to her. Attorneys Kevin Allen and Molly Martin said that it was Riley's intention to get away with the murder and to never be caught. They talked about all the ways that Riley was manipulative, how he threatened suicide, pretended to be kidnapped, sent these anonymous messages, and concealed his identity to scare Emma by going to her door. When explaining what happened on November 21st, the prosecutor said that Riley called his friend Noah and asked how to remove fingerprints from a gun. Then he left his college at about 1230 and drove to Emma's house where he stood outside of her bedroom window and fired two shots into the wall with his grandfather's stolen 9mm handgun. They said Riley knew exactly where to shoot in order to hit Emma. One shot went into the wall parallel to Emma's headboard, and the second shot accidentally hit a stud in the wall and never made it to Emma's room. After he shot Emma, Riley drove back to the college and went to sleep. Riley's defense was led by attorney Wesley Stone, who didn't even attempt to argue that Riley was not the shooter. Instead, he argued about the reason that Riley shot Emma in hopes that the jury would find him guilty of the lesser charge of reckless homicide instead of first-degree murder. They said Riley didn't mean to kill Emma, only to scare her. They alleged that he fired the gun to get her attention, not realizing the bullets would go through the wall and hit her. They also said Riley was not the mysterious man in black and that his motivation for shooting into her home was to scare her so that she would come running to him for safety so that he could be perceived as her hero. First of all, no, that the part about that doesn't even make sense if you're going to say he wasn't the mysterious man in black because that's literally what he tried to do is right. to scare her into calling him. And that's what happened. And then to then say he's going to shoot into the room to scare her into it. It can't be one or the other. You right. know what I mean? Riley did not take the stand in his trial. The jury consisted of eight men and four women who deliberated for five hours. On May 8th, 2018, Riley was found guilty of first-degree murder, stalking, theft, reckless endangerment, tampering with evidence, and being in possession of a firearm during a dangerous felony. He was automatically sentenced to life in prison for the murder charge with the possibility of parole after 51 years. Four months later, he was sentenced for the other crimes, receiving 29 days for the misdemeanor stalking, one year for theft, three years for tampering with evidence, three years for reckless endangerment, and three years for the possession of the firearm during the commission of a felony. These sentences will run concurrently with his life sentence. At Riley's sentencing, Emma's mother spoke and said, quote, you ended her life. No punishment will ever bring Emma back, but what helps is knowing he can't do this to anyone else, end quote. Riley said, quote, I'm sorry I took Emma away from you, that I robbed you of the experience of watching your daughter grow up. What I can do is tell the truth about that night. I wanted to scare her. I never meant to take Emma's life. Again, I'm sorry, end quote. As of now, there have been no appeals for Riley. He is currently jailed at the Northwest Correctional Complex in Tiptonville, Tennessee. He is not eligible for parole until November of 2077. Emma's mom hopes that her death helps others identify abusive relationships. She said, quote, if your boyfriend or girlfriend is telling you you can't go there or what to wear or who to hang out with or who to talk to, it's not okay. I think when they become quiet and withdrawn, it's a big sign too. It's not just bruises. It's emotional and controlling, end quote. Emma loved animals and aspired to become a NICU nurse. So in her memory, a dog park and a NICU patient room at East Tennessee Children's Hospital were named after her. The topic of dating violence is something I care about deeply and on a personal level. Um, although I haven't personally been involved in an abusive relationship, there are people very close in my life who have. And it really truly is one of the most stressful and scary things somebody and their family can go through. So before we wrap up the episode today, we did want to share some information about dating violence to help spread awareness and promote the prevention of stories like Emma's. So we have some information from the CDC and the Connecticut Coalition Against Dating Violence that we are going to share. Teen dating violence is a type of intimate partner violence that can take place in person, online, or through technology, and it includes physical violence, sexual violence or coercion, psychological aggression, and stalking. 
Non-physical sexual behavior, such as sharing sexual pictures without someone's consent or sending explicit messages and photos without consent, are also forms of dating violence. There are several warning signs that someone you know is becoming a victim of dating violence, and these signs include suspicious bruises or scratches or other suspicious injuries, failing grades, a loss of interest in things that they once enjoyed, and extreme mood swings. Additionally, the victim may begin to abuse drugs or alcohol, exhibit fearfulness around their dating partner or even at the mention of them, and they might start avoiding friends and social events and not going out without their partner. These are all red flags. Likewise, there are warning signs that someone is becoming the perpetrator of dating violence, and this is equally as important to be able to recognize. So this person may be threatening to hurt other people, they will insult them or ignore maybe their dating partner in public or in private. They will constantly keep tabs on their partner and make attempts to control everything they do and who they associate with, and they often exhibit jealous and possessive behaviors and demand to know where their partner is at all times. They might also damage or destroy their partner's personal belongings and use gaslighting tactics, such as making statements like, if you really loved me, then you would whatever it is that they want you to do. Similarly, they often blame their partner for their own bad behavior as a way to put guilt or shame onto them. And this can be statements like, you made me do it, or you asked for it. Instances of dating violence are extremely common, as we said in the beginning of the episode. One in three teens will experience it in some form, and almost half of all college women report experiencing violent or abusive dating partners. Breaking down the statistic even further, one in 11 teens report being the victim of physical dating violence every year. One in four teens report verbal, physical, emotional, or sexual violence each year. One in five teens report being the victim of emotional abuse. One in five high school girls have been physically or sexually assaulted by a partner. Female teens are at a higher risk for abuse, and those who identify as LGBTQIA are also at a higher risk for physical and sexual dating violence compared to other students. Teenagers and young people sometimes think it's okay for things like name-calling and teasing to be present in a relationship, but these behaviors can become abusive and escalate into serious forms of violence. The majority of teens are hesitant to talk about unhealthy relationship behaviors because they're afraid to tell their family and friends. This is why it's so important to take teens and anyone seriously when they talk about their dating partners. But as the saying goes, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure, and dating violence is preventable. Knowing that many teens begin dating before they've even reached their teen years, it's important to arm our kids with knowledge of healthy relationship habits and its signs of dating violence starting as early as middle school. I will say this whole story, I've talked to my daughter about some of this and she's 13 now, but I'm going to have like a more serious conversation with her and uh, share with her Emma's story because it is one of those things that I don't know about you, Mandy, but I don't, nobody talked to me about this in high school. I had no idea. Yeah, I had, there was some talks that um, my parents did have with me about like proper treatment, how you're supposed to be treated in a rela- and how people are supposed to treat you when they're in a relationship with you. Um, but definitely there was never any talk about like not explicitly saying like these are signs of abusive behavior. Right. Or, you know, what n- nothing like that. Yeah, what I mean is like physical violence, I always knew absolutely right. no, right? That's like what – that's the the message you would get as a teenager. But you never ever knew at my age, I didn't as a teenager, that these other things could be, you know, And like signs. we said before, um, with the way that technology is now in social media and now there are di- – there's new ways to harass people. You know, you have oh, – yeah. you have like they, we were saying sending explicit photos um, when someone doesn't want them. Like that is not okay. You know, it's not okay to send somebody things they don't want to see. Um, it's not okay to share people's private, you know, photos and even text messages and things like that when they don't want you to share them. But it's like these are all now also included in this in these, um, you know, in the dating violence umbrella and things to look out for. And I know that's really common um, in the world that we live in, you know, with teens yeah. on social media and whether or not they realize that doing these things is you know, it's just not okay. Um, I feel like that's kind of where like the, you know, educating people comes in. It's like, don't do this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think it's just as important to see the abusive behaviors in the perpetrators, like you were saying before, that, you know, we're, it's great that we can see the signs in um, the victims, of course, but also 
some of us are parents to those people who right. are could be the perpetrators. So you, you've got to be able to look out for it on both sides and not ignore it. But to continue, it's important to have these discussions early on because of the impact that teen dating violence has on victims long term. For example, teens who are the victim of dating violence in high school are at a higher risk of being victimized in college. During the preteen years, young people should begin learning the skills necessary to establish and maintain healthy relationships. This includes learning how to manage one's own feelings and learning how to communicate effectively and in a healthy way. The CDC has actually developed some resources to help communities focus their prevention efforts. They have the CDC's Dating Matters strategies to promote healthy teen relationships, and it focuses on the 11 to 14-year-old age group and includes several different components to promote healthy relationships and reduce the behaviors that lead to dating violence. So like we were saying, maybe as a parent, you don't feel like you're equipped to teach your child about these things, or maybe you just aren't as well-versed as you would like to be to have these discussions. So there are resources out there, like we said, even for parents to kind of review. So there's a website for Dating Matters that we're going to link in the show notes uh, for this episode, and it's full of resources and information, as I said, for parents and educators alike. The CDC also developed Preventing Intimate Partner Violence Across the Lifespan, which is a PDF that describes different strategies and approaches based on the best available evidence for preventing dating violence. The Connecticut Coalition Against Dating Violence has a website as well that includes the signs of a healthy relationship and an unhealthy relationship. And it also includes quizzes to see what kind of relationship you are currently in or to see if you are even a good partner. Uh, They also put together a toolkit, which includes facts on uh, teen domestic violence, the warning signs and more. And we're going to link, as I said, all of these sources uh, in the show notes. And finally, we are going to leave you with a few points from Futures Without Violence, Um, and they are, if you suspect that your teen may be the victim of abuse, remind them that abuse is never appropriate and it's never their fault and that they deserve a relationship that is free of abuse. And if you suspect that your teen is the perpetrator of abusive behavior, tell your child that abuse and violence are not acceptable and that this behavior is a choice they are making. Let them know there are resources and counselors that can help him or her understand their consequences and the alternatives to violence and help them learn how to stop the abusive behavior. And if your teenager is hesitant or not ready to talk openly with you about their relationship, just let them know that there are confidential resources and trained individuals that are available to help them answer questions and to avoid unhealthy relationship and abusive relationships. But above all, make sure you let them know that you're always there for them and available to talk anytime. So some of the resources that you can use or pass on to those who need it are Love is Respect. They have a website at loveisrespect.org, and the number they can be reached at is 866-331-9474. There's also the National Domestic Violence Hotline, and you can call them at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 7233. And they have a website as well. It is ndvh.org. There's also the Rape, Abuse, and Incest National Network Hotline, and they can be reached at 800-656-HOPE, that's 4673, and they have a website as well, it's rainn.org. And lastly, I just want to say personally, because I know we do have some young adults and even some teens that listen to our show, which I'm always so, I always love when we have teens write to us and say that they listen to us. Um, So, but if you are in a situation and you don't want to tell your friends and family, but you need help finding resources, just send us an email. We'll do what we can to connect you with somebody who can help you. I just don't ever want there to be anybody who listens to our show that feels like they don't have anybody to turn to that they can trust. Um, So if you do need help, send us an email. We will do everything we can to help you out. Absolutely. All right, Melissa, on that note, are we ready to turn the page and do a little last thing before we go? Yes. All right. I think we still have some questions. uh, Or yes, we had asked our Instagram followers and Facebook followers to send us some questions they wanted to hear us answer. So we still have a few of those I think we're going to do today. We do. Uh, Do you want to start off or you want me to grab one? Um, I can start us off. Okay. I don't remember who sent this in. I apologize. Um, But somebody had asked the question whether we would prefer to be a twin or to have twins. So, Melissa, would you rather have a twin or would you rather parent twins? Here's the thing. (laughs) Um, I think twins have the coolest relationship. It just seems amazing. Our friend that we refer to as the other mom, Stacy, she has twin sons. And it seems to be the coolest thing for them. Although being in the trenches with 
two at a time would be right. difficult. <laughs> I kind of wish my daughter had a twin because my son doesn't really give a crap. And like she would have kind of a built-in best friend. He's like YOLO, does his own thing, doesn't really need anyone. And so that to me would be, I wish that for her. Me personally, I have a sister. I'm very close to her. I'm okay not having a twin. So I don't know what my answer would be. I think I'd be shocked to have a twin. I I like to have given birth to a twin. I think I would have probably melted down. So that's probably, I'd probably rather have a twin then. Does that make sense? Yeah. Unless I could guarantee my daughter have one, then I'd be okay with it. Yeah. (laughs) I think I would for sure rather have a twin than parent twins. Just because like you said, once you've seen what parenting is all about, it just seems impossible to think about having two at the same time that are going through everything at the same time. Yeah. But- if people like I know a lot of people who've had twins for their first pregnancy and so they don't know any other life than the twin life. Right. And so to them they're like, well, this is no big deal because you know, you just have to jump in and figure it out. So of course it's not like the end of the world if that's your situation. But after having kids, I can say that I wouldn't want to have twins right now. Or no, ever. right now. <laughs> <laughs> right now I have a lot stronger words. Um yeah. no. <laughs> Absolutely not. I'm with you. Okay, Mandy, my question is, okay, you're, I don't think you're going to really like this one, but I, I, I wanted to throw in a reality one. So this is 333HanSolo333 on Instagram. Okay, this is a Would You Rather reality TV edition, even without knowing these TV shows. I'm saying Would You Rather contestant, be a contestant, okay? Would you rather be on The Bachelor or Bachelorette? So if you're on The Bachelor, you're one of the women vying for the guy, but if you're The Bachelorette, you are the girl and all the guys... Oh you my gosh, I hate it all. <laughs> That's a fair answer. I don't want to do any of that. <laughs> no, I don't want to be competing. No. And I also don't want to like deal with that many men. <laughs> no, no. I, I mean, I guess if I had to choose, I would rather be, I want to do, I want to be the one doing the choosing. But like, I sure. also hate that because I am just, I don't know. I I feel like sometimes I come across so tough, but like I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> like yeah. I could never be the one like letting people go and being like, "Sorry, you're not good enough for me." But like I I don't know. I just I don't like it. I would of end it. up in a polygamous <laughs> marriage so quickly by the end of that just to be like, "Everyone's happy? Right? We all happy?" Right. Um, no, but at I the same have... time, I don't I couldn't fight for my spot. Like I'm not, I'm also not going to fight for my spot in a man's life. So oh. I'm not going to be like like you said, I'm not going to be in competition with anyone. Else. No. Okay, here's the other one. I'm going to put these two together. Would you rather be on Naked and Afraid or Love Island? So Love Island, I don't know if you know that one. It's a I've dating heard show. Of it. Yeah, it's I don't even watch it. Is it I know people love it. Uh I think it's actually English. Oh. But I think they have different iterations. There's even a US one now, but it's never as good as the English one. Of course. Um but it's the hottest people you've ever seen in your entire life <laughs> or Naked and Afraid where you get like well, you're, where you're naked, that's immediately a no for me. No, because isn't that also like not only are you naked, but you also are like wilderness living? No, thank you. No I would shoes, rather be on nothing. I want to be on the hot people show. <laughs> well, I think I would get eliminated the first week. So I'm going to go on Love Island because I'll get eliminated, be off there real, real quick. Naked and afraid, go. I'd probably last way too long. They'd like lose communication with me and right. drop me off in some place. <laughs> yeah oh my gosh that just i that idea of laying down on something Mm -mm. and ants crawling on you or like in crevices and stuff (laughs) oh crevices is my least favorite word and i hate bugs like even when i go camping which i love to do i love to go camping i love to be out in nature you know that but i i like to camp with with luxuries you know i like to have my mosquito spray and i like to have the option of going inside of a tent like i don't want to just be outside exposed to the elements with Nothing on. No way. At least give me underoos. Like the idea that they don't even have that is so upsetting to me. And like people like there's not even a prize, Mandy. They just go on it it to see if they can do it. No. The girl from Teen Mom lasted like 38 minutes or something. Maybe from Teen Mom tried it. It did not work out well. But that would be me. Yeah. I don't think I. Mm -mm. No. No. Love Island. Get me kicked off of Love Island immediately. (laughs) I would twist my ankle walking in the heels and they'd be like, well, she's out already. All right. So um, I have one last one and it's, I guess, maybe we've talked about this before. People want to know what we were like when we were pregnant. Were you friendly when you were pregnant, Melissa, or were you just really cranky all the time? 
I was really tired all the time. I remember with my first one, I had a blanket and pillow and I worked in a doctor's office and at noon every day, I would go back in the patient rooms, put my pillow and blanket down and take a nap for 30 minutes. I just always wanted to sleep. I don't think I was grumpy. I don't, I don't think, think I was so. either. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe maybe we're just being really kind to ourselves. But I, was, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think I was that bad when I was pregnant, honestly. I, I mean, none of us are that bad, right? Obviously, pregnancy is a very tough time. So if you were like a, a momzilla, then you know what? That's okay, too. Um, yeah. We're not here to bash anybody who had a rough time in their pregnancy. But I don't think I really was. I didn't really get that cranky. Like I said, I discovered a love for Chipotle burritos and just ate mm. a burrito every day. And that was all I cared about. But um no, I didn't really do a lot of I, – I didn't complain a ton. And I was pregnant through really hot summer with my first mm-hmm. pregnancy. I had my baby, obviously, in September. So I had to go through some of the hottest times. Ugh. But I was also a lot younger. So I didn't – I you know, I just – I didn't care. I was happy. Yeah. I, what I, I wouldn't give to go back to those days. <laughs> I cannot even imagine. I do remember one time, like, uh, throwing up in my hand as I'm driving and, like, tur- like – trying to turn get over to not throw up in my hand and to throw up outside and somebody like honked at me and I just remember waving like really nicely and I'm like Melissa of all days you could really just like (laughs) throw your vomit back at this guy or whatever I was like I was like why am I being so nice about this like it's not my fault buddy so I yeah I don't think I don't yeah I wasn't mm -mm, I was pretty calm yeah pregnant. I, you know what? I really think I'm blacking out because it's been 13 <laughs> years for one and nine for the other. Don't, don't ask remember. our husbands. I How know. about that? Don't maybe ask we, our husbands. Maybe we just have amnesia about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, my mom used to say, if you remembered how hard pregnancy was and you how hard tar- childbirth yeah. was, you'd never do it again. Yeah. All right. Well, those were the questions this week. Hope you guys enjoyed those. Certainly always a fun time to answer silly questions. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, we will be back next week. Same time, same place. New story. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening to the Moms and Murder podcast. Make sure to check back with us next week for a new episode. You can also find us at momsandmurder.com where you can connect with us via social media. Please make sure you subscribe and give us five stars because giving us four stars would be a crime. Thanks so much.